You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. All right. Welcome to yet another week and another episode of Cure to Consumption. I am your host, Lance Lambert. I got my buddy Andrew, the producer over here on the uh, on the one twos, huh? What up? What up? <laughs> man, I'm looking forward to. It. We got to jump right into it, man. Because I was just telling Andrew, uh, you know, a lot of us that have shows in the industry, we we become guests on each other's shows. I was on uh, one of our friends' shows yesterday, and we were and talking. We got about we got uh, actually the guest just. Oh my gosh! Too. We don't even get to Super talk about Vegas. Dude. <laughs> we'll talk about Vegas afterwards. All right, for sure. man. Let's definitely talk about it because I can't stop thinking about. It. I'm so stoked for it. Anyway, Nikki, are you there? I am. How are you? I am good. I am good. I will uh, would love to introduce you, and I'll let you kind of give a little bit more of your background just now. But everyone that's listening in, this is Nikki Lolly, and um, my gosh, we've been connected at least in the virtual world for some time now. <laughs> Always coming across you on LinkedIn, and such a big fan. Um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, and then we'll we'll jump right into it. Sounds great. Thanks for having me so much. It's uh, great to be here. And um, my name is Nikki Lolly. And in 2016, I was working as a nurse, and a child didn't want a vaccine. And um, I suffered a traumatic brain injury that day. Um, it was the last day I worked, and I was um, I discovered cannabis by accident after seeing well over 50 providers. Um, being told to try different procedures and medications and nothing was working at all. It actually was having greater side effects. And um, at one point I was in Las Vegas um, during this recovery phase and some of the drugs had really messed up my brain chemistry and I was suicidal and looking over the billboard of um, looking over the balcony, a billboard came by saying, get your medical Nevada, medical marijuana card in Nevada today. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of just, yeah, right. That's going to help a brain injury. <laughs> but it kind of opened my eyes that day to the possibility of maybe cannabis could help me. Um, I was skeptical, of course. And yeah. that day I went into my first legal dispensary and it was, quite a uh, overwhelming and unique experience coming from a Western medicine, go to a drugstore type um, background, yeah. <laughs> not a cannabis dispensary. <laughs> it was pretty overwhelming and pretty cool at the same time. Um, now it's absolutely not intimidating. And, you know, I can't wait to go to medical dispensaries or adult use dispensaries. But um, initially, you know, I come from a pretty straight-laced background and like <laughs> so walking into a cannabis store was like yeah is it okay am i gonna get like right come in you know you still you have the, the really tabooisms wrong <laughs> yeah doing this. just and, that stigma uh, yeah surprisingly i'm still here so that didn't happen <laughs> Yeah. And that's, that's where I think we kind of connected because, you know, I think pretty much everyone in the industry probably knows I've been out of the proverbial green closet myself, you know, on the uh, medical advocacy side for years now. 
And um, that's what I loved about, you know, interacting with you and, and you're on a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the shows and, and webcasts. It's been all virtual lately, right? But but you're yeah. on you're on a lot of those and you get to hear what some of these individuals say. But that's one thing that definitely caught my attention was your story and, um, you know, myself, you know, being a cancer survivor. So coming out from a different angle, but coming from an angle of having, to your point, you know, the brain damage and, and having this whole disruption to your life, right? Because that's one thing that I know in learning more about you was that this this whole incident that had occurred, it really disrupted the trajectory that you were on as far as life goes. 100%. Um, it was unexpected and life changed in a second. So you can either um, wallow in the sorrow yes. <laughs> or try and figure a way out. And that's kind of what cannabis allowed me to do. I'm still injured. I still have a traumatic brain injury, but I have hope. And mm. that's what cannabis gave me was hope that day. And allowed me to focus on things other than the pain because the pain was pretty unrelentless. Um, It still is, but I'm able to deal with it now in a way that's much more um, healthy (laughs) compared to (laughs) fistfuls of antidepressants and anti-anxieties and muscle relaxants and opiates and, you know, whatever cocktail of the month was the right thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm totally passionate about cannabis as medicine. And, you know, living in New York now with the whole pivotal change of going into the adult use and expanding our medical program, I had really been focused on moving somewhere else out of yeah. New York State because our program just doesn't meet my needs. Um, and it's very frustrating to think that I finally find something that works and I don't have consistent access to it um, because each state is so different with their regulations and their laws. It is. It's and patchwork. It really is all across the country. You know, It is. And I actually really learned about plant medicine in Canada. So the border has been closed for over a year now. Yeah. So I had to totally pivot my entire life to try and find cannabis medicine in a way that was completely foreign to me. Um, from a standpoint of our cannabis in New York state is not the medicine I need. Um, I need a higher THC percentage. I need whole flour and the products we have in New York just are not adequate. Um, and so Canada was where I medicated. I actually have a storage unit over there and everything has been fine up until COVID hit and then the border closed. And so there went my access to medicine. Um, Having to now rely on untested medicine and trying to go off a strain name (laughs) is sort of like a crapshoot. Very Um, much. Very much is. I became pretty efficient at learning what terpenes and minor cannabinoids really were beneficial for my brain injury. And Mm -hmm. not having any idea and, you know, Leafly doesn't know what's in your hand. (laughs) Yeah. So... Leafly can tell you all about what the terpenes are supposed to be and what the effects are supposed to be, but that's not really relevant on the strain you have in your hand because that's, yep. that's just a an approximate, if you will. Yeah, and they're really going back to, you know, when we talk about cultivars, to your point, they're typically going back to the source. So rather it be DNA or, or be alien or whomever crafted those genetics, 
to your point, that was the iteration that was tested from that original cultivar. And, you know, getting into what we're talking about, you know, the genotype, the phenotype, the chemotype, like there's so many variants and outside factors when that seed is grown. So to your point, and we explain this to people all the time, Blue Dream is not Blue Dream from California to New York. It's just so many different iterations. And this plant evolves, obviously, to its its local climates and its local environments. So you're spot on that while Leafly might be a good kind of, in theory, this is what should be in this as far as genetics go. Oftentimes, to your point, it isn't. And how frustrating is that, to your point? Like, and this is something that I think people need to hear, you know, when individuals are like, oh, there's a medical program there, they're all good. There's a medical program there, they're fine. And there are different levels of medical. There's some very, very efficient medical systems, right? And so many that just suck. I mean, Minnesota, sorry to pick on them, but obviously some things in recent history they're okay to pick on now because they don't have it all right. And they have a medical program and it's a flowerless state, which I know at one point in New York and Florida both were as well. And like you and I, both being medical advocates, there's things you just can't get from concentrates. And, And I constantly explain it to people. It's like... If you had a glass table and it got broke, and, and let's say it broke into a dozen pieces, yes, you could glue it all back together, but it's never going to be the same. And that's the same with taking whole flour and turning it into a concentrate, no matter if it's BHO or CO2 or, or you know, alcohol or ethanol, whatever you're using, you know, for, uh, for extraction. But to your point, you won't have that same profile, especially of, like you mentioned, the minor cannabinoids and even more so the terpenes because they're so volatile. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's tough to hear. And I'm frustrated for for New York. It seems the bigger the politics, the <laughs> the longer it takes to get the proper system in place. And I know Florida and New York both are kind of victims of that in, in certain ways. So, but things are, it's it's turning a new page over there, right? So how how's the energy? Because you really keep your finger on the pulse and definitely more so on the right coast than I do. I have to admit, even having family, I mean, my whole mom's side of the family is from up in Rockport, Mass., but I don't get over there that often. Admittedly, I follow the international scene even more so than I follow the East Coast here, I, I have to admit. So, but things are moving, right? Things are going the right direction, and and there's there's obviously opportunity. Yeah, there's so much opportunity in New York right now, but at the same time, while the opportunity exists, it's got to be set up the correct way. Now they're like real work stars Um, because to your point, the whole flowerless system has not worked well for our medical program. Yes. Now we have ground flour, but there's stems in it. (laughs) I mean, there's no terpene profile. It's just as horrible. So one of the things we had hoped with this legislation that we would have at least the office of cannabis management implemented here in New York state that is basically going to take away the power of the medical program from the New York State Department of Health and give it to this new entity that has not been formed yet. The concept's there, but they didn't pass anybody through it, this legislation. So that means I believe September is going to be the first time we hear about this again, (laughs) which is very frustrating because we have a great program that's um, structured. It has a lot of awesome opportunities, especially for the minority women business enterprise sector. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a goal of 50% of all the licenses for each of the 11 categories to be awarded to that type of equity partner. And, yeah. and you guys needed that social equity and equality. That's I'm glad that went back. You know, they pulled it back 
and rewrote certain aspects with that in mind, which what better, I mean, California and New York, I, I have to say, kind of led this this whole prejudice and not to say it doesn't exist in the South or other markets, but, you know, there needs to be that consideration because there's someone, I was just reading an article, this guy was talking about how, you know, here he was going down to the courthouse uh, to, to get his sentence for possession and not even, you know, five, 600 meters away was a dispensary where someone's legally profiting from the same plant that he's being incarcerated for. And it's like the irony did not escape this individual, right? I mean, it's just, it's so out of whack on how this plant's been weaponized over the last century, honestly, really, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's even more distressing, like in Buffalo, New York, seven out of 10 people that have been arrested for nonviolent cannabis crimes have been people of color. I mean, that's a scary statistic. (laughs) And that's just so wrong. And it's great that we have this set aside, but now we've got to figure out how to actually pull it off. Now we have to figure out how to make it so the big boys can't come in and just gobble up licenses. Because we all know how a system starts out isn't how it finishes usually. So (laughs) finding a way to work within the current structure is critical. And my mission in New York has been, I want to learn from the legacy dealers and the legacy cultivars and people that are in the legacy market because we need to bring them to the legal market. And they have all this experience and all this hustle that they've been doing for years. We can learn some things from them. Like they're valuable resources. And I don't think a lot of the corporate cannabis people value their input or patient's input. And it's really hard to monetize something that's advocacy, right? It's like, how do you really value someone's worth? How do you put a price tag on that billboard that drove by when I was contemplating my death? That billboard saved my life, Lance. (laughs) Okay. Talk about a powerful advertisement, but the person who put that billboard out, he has no idea that impact that that made. But how do you put a cost to that? So advocacy for these large companies, they need to realize, they need to understand who's in their backyard and bring them on board rather than try and fight them. Because you're going to get a lot further being inclusive than you are being, you know, full of disaccord. I mean, we all need to work together to yeah. make it happen. Yeah. And that's, and we've seen that, you know, it's been something very fortunate having grown up in Northern California and been around the industry ever since, it, well, we're calling it legacy. Now I guess it's being called traditional. So ever since a traditional market and, you know, a, a lot of friends opted not to come out of the shadows because of apprehension and, you know, this, um, the, the taboos and, and the stigma associated with it, which affected a lot of those individuals and a lot of them still have PTSD, from what occurred back in, um, for some as early as the 80s, but mostly in the 90s and 2000s with, you know, coming in and, and cutting crops and incarcerating people, even then when we had a medical program, believe it or not, you know, it was just, so you're right, those individuals are very apprehensive to come out, but they are needed. I mean, that myself, you know, working at uh, Bovida, that was a big thing I always explained, just did a, wrote an article about it on how, you know, that company is working with the industry from the outside in. And it wasn't until I came over there where I was like, you got, you're, you're going about the wrong way. You need to approach mm-hmm. it from the inside out. And they didn't have an understanding of how to approach uh, the community that's standing behind this industry 
until they had someone that came from it. And I think there's a lot of just an, another friend in the industry, Dave Charnick, we talk about this all the time too, because he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys that they're like, oh, we need to talk to you more because you you know, you know what the other side has been doing. You know how things have been going. And to your point, the cultivars and the craft and, and, and what people consume, what they don't consume. I don't care where you come from. I mean, even I won't say which company, but I was at one company that kept hiring people from Google and from Twitter and from from GoPro and from Red Bull. And they're hiring all these, you know, hot guys out of and gals out of dot coms and all these, you know, buzzing companies that had such this brand and everything else. And they knew nothing about cannabis. And now even myself being a marketer, I mean, it, you know, I could have come in and in background being in other sectors. Um, but the huge advantage for me compared to other marketers that thought they could come in and do whatever was having having that tie to this industry and having that history with the community, again, that's associated with it. So I totally agree with you. They need to have more, you know, OGs, <laughs> original growers, as we call them, you know, need to have more OGs that are a part of that conversation. And um, even bringing that in, I know a lot of the social equity programs, a friend that does background checks for uh, government entities, a lot of these programs that are being initiated, they actually require there to be some sort of background check on these individuals to make sure, and it's fine if they've been incarcerated, but incarcerated obviously for the right things, not the wrong things, right? Not for fraud, not for embezzlement, not for for abuse, but actually for, uh, you know, production or distribution or selling of, that's fine. You know, it says right. that obviously they have the background, but you just, a lot of it, you just can't learn, right? You can't get it from a book. You can't, it's always no. been wives tales on how we learned how to grow in the, at least most of us, how we learned how to grow in the first place, which is trial and error and wives tales from the previous generation. So I, I like the fact that you put an emphasis on that, that, you know, social equity and equality and no facades, right? Because we saw that even in Oakland, which has gotten a lot of credit for um, being one of the first to make sure that they covered off on social equity, there was a few people, uh, to your point, the suits that came in with the money and found the front man to get that license. And then someone called him out and said, this guy got the license. He got the license on behalf of these guys, these white collars that are not of diverse background, have not yeah. been affected by the war on drugs ever since Anslinger, forget Nixon and Reagan, ever since, you know, back in Reefer mm -hmm. Madness, you know, African-American, Hispanic, uh, Asian even that have been suppressed because of, you know, this being considered an illicit drug. And here, you know, they're trying to work the system. And I know that's something's come up in Illinois, that something's come up in Michigan. And again, it's good for advocates like you to keep people thinking about that aspect of it, not just about the excitement of the opportunity. Because like you discussed right. about the rolling billboard, I, lo I love how you talk about that because I post up like maybe every four or five months. I'll post something on LinkedIn about, you know, an article that talks about, I mean, now we're right around 350,000 jobs just in the U.S. alone tied to legal cannabis. So I like to post up facts like that just to let people know where we're going. And I always say it's never too late. Everyone's like, is it too late to get you been in since 2013? Is it too late to get? I'm like, it, it's never too late because we need so many people. We need like you with a medical background. We need scientists. We need doctors. We need logistics, legal, HR, marketing, sales. And it's so funny because I always have people direct, even people I've never met before, the second degrees or third degree of connection that reach out and go, man, you know, your post really spoke to me. I've been thinking about it for the last fill in the blank years. 
I'm going to make the leap. I'm going to get into the industry. I'm ready for it. I'm passionate about it and it's time. And I'm like, go for it, man. You can do it. <laughs> like, it's not, it, yes. Yeah. Like, just go for it. We need more people that are passionate and that are all about good vibes. That's what it comes down to is being in it for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons, you know? And so, I again, you're 100% correct. Um, one of the concerns that just blows my mind is like, let's just take Nevada, for instance. I have a good friend who's a powerful advocate who wants a job in a dispensary, wants to be part of that. She was instrumental in helping with the social equity piece, but the law in the state, because she has a felony for a crime that she was set up by the DEA to do, she can't get that job in the dispensary because of the felony. That's got to change people. (laughs) I mean, for real, like, that's so twisted and messed up. She helped build the social equity piece and she can't even get a job in it. Like it blows my mind. It, so it, yeah. needless to say, she's in New York right now. <laughs> <laughs> because there are things. I mean, I mean it, it's evolved, right? I mean, that's, you look at some of the earlier States and people point out Colorado, Nevada, it came a little bit later, but you know, Colorado and obviously California and Nevada, Oregon, a lot of the West coast. And that's the thing is like even these states are still evolving. I remember they had modified um, some some aspect of the legalization in Colorado up to 85 times in the first year alone where they're, oh, we forgot about this. We need to cover this. We need to. But it's sad to hear like that, like a, a place like Nevada, which is pretty, it's kind of balanced. I don't know if it's a, technically a purple state, but it, it's fairly balanced. And hear that someone who has such support um, in, in, you know, still has a background and probably this this background, this felony tied to the industry, um, doesn't have the opportunity. I mean, that's where, again, to your point, the system's a little jacked in some instances. And I think that's a good example of it, right? Yeah, I think we just need these people at the table when these final control boards get organized. I think we don't know what we don't know. And when I heard that, I just was blown away. I was blown away by the 1% limit of THC. It's either Tennessee or Texas or something. Texas. That yep. It's nothing. That's no. hot hemp. No. <laughs> that is hot hemp. That's a good way of putting it. And, and, and while it might help a little bit with a little bit with absorption, because you, you do need that THC for absorption, right? But not enough. And that's a good example. Nowhere near enough. You know? Very true. Very true. And it's, it's politics getting in the way and it, it's frustrating. You know, it is frustrating again for folks like you and I that are always thinking medical for, and again, I'm, you know, props to adult use recreational. That's awesome. It's still way better than, <laughs> than alcohol. Cause I saw what alcohol did firsthand working five years for AAA, people wrapping their cars around poles and, and, and mm. obviously hurting others that didn't deserve it. So way better from recreation. But again, going back to the medical position, it just floors me that it's like, okay, you guys, you really don't get it, do you? Like if you're going to have a medical program, even if it's a conservative medical program, like France, you know, they just launched their beta medical. France and Ireland both announced medical programs a few years ago. France is doing a beta program right now. They're not doing a, well, let's start with one or 2%. They understand or someone educated. I'm honestly probably a lot of the Israelis that are coming over to to Europe to help with education around the science and medical aspect. Um, but, mm-hmm. but they got it. They knew how they, they're like, if we're going to test this, we're going to test it for real. Not, <laughs> not do a yeah. half-assed test like, like some are doing again, sorry, Texas, but you guys are kind of backwards in that regard. 
So it, it is, it's, it's frustrating, I'd say, because people have to move. That's when I was in Colorado with the cannabis. I remember we did a, a series on families that were moving. They were selling everything. They were selling their trailers, wherever, you know, coming up from, mm -hmm. from Alabama, from Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, very, very Southern states and, and more so uh, higher poverty, poverty uh, rated states and trying to come and live in Colorado just to be able to get that medical treatment for their children. That that's again, that was my billboard. You know, we talk about which Nikki is great. I love it. You know, talk about this billboard. That was your epiphany for me. Um, although again, already had a history at the plant. Like that's where I was like, this is where I need to go. Like I need to marry my passion with my career because it's making a difference for these children going from 95 seizures a week to five because of this plant, you know? Um, I think a lot of people have that aha moment, but not enough of the right people at the table. Like you said, not enough of those politicians and, and those individuals that are making the decisions sometimes at the end of the day. Right. And like, I'm just an advocate, right? Like, I mean, I have a ton of knowledge because I've, you know, learned so much about the plant in the last three years, but at the end of the day, I'm an advocate and I care about other patients having access to medicine that's going to work for them. Yeah. For me, I don't like having to tell someone, oh, go buy it from Billy Bob down the street because I don't know what Billy Bob's stuff has in it. And, like, I do not like relying on untested cannabis. To yeah. me, that's, like, a fundamental thing. And we're going to be allowing patients to have six plants themselves um, in September is the target. And nice. I feel like we need to have access to patients being able to test that medicine at a reasonable cost, not at $100 for a little tiny sample and all you get is a THC percentage. THC means nothing to me. It, mm -hmm. I need the whole analysis yeah, because it's, it's the whole plant for me. And I just feel like these voices all need to be heard in different ways than they've been heard in the past and really build a whole movement around the legacy market and build it in a way that it encourages involvement, like make it so there's incentives with financial incentives. It's going to be a lot easier to run a, a program that people endorse and feel comfortable with rather yeah. than one that says, oh, well, you can't have, you know, alcohol and cannabis at the same place. I understand that totally. Yeah. But like, let's not put, you can't have a cannabis outlet within you know a million feet of a school or something something yeah, i'm not so, talking i'm talking about non-reasonable yeah. laws is all i'm trying to say well even we a lot to, like, of them <laughs> talk to the patients and the real people yeah and it's it's a lot of these it, it is kind of interesting because i understand you know being safe and all the rest of it but Another thing that I find a bit ironic is that, you know, the, the U.S., while we've been a leader in many regards, like technology is a good example, you know, or SaaS, software as a service, you know, this is definitely the epicenter for that. But we don't have all the answers and we aren't the leader in all regards. And there are examples of integration of cannabis use uh, that is very effective and efficient in other places. And a, a good example, I keep talking about this too, uh, only because Oregon just passed uh, some similar uh, laws as far as descheduling uh, and decriminalizing all drugs. Portugal did that 10 years ago. 
and I remind people, Portugal, it wasn't Armageddon, wasn't the end of the world or end of days when they did this. <laughs> like, Portugal is still there. It's a beautiful place. Matter of fact, more people than ever <laughs> are moving to Portugal because it's affordable, it's beautiful, and, and the people are friendly. But the point being is, you know, they actually backed all the drugs off the table. And then they came back and said, we are going to start a medical cannabis program. And then the taxes that are sourced from the medical cannabis program are going to be used to rehabilitate those that are on the real drugs that are addicted to opioids and methamphetamines and a lot of the, the, the Western medicine pharmaceuticals that, to your point, you know, it's just, just drugs in a brown bag these days. And they've been extremely successful. And here, Oregon... The first state, and again, props to Earl Blumenauer. I got to uh, hang out with him over on the Hill in D.C. One of the coolest, poli- I'm not a big fan of politicians, but uh, one of the coolest politicians that's been pushing for cannabis since I was born. And I'm stoked for Oregon for coming around like that. And the other example I'd say, and like you're talking about, you know, alcohol and, and cannabis and uh, I know the kids call it getting crossfaded, and there's other means again. I know you'd rather be coke and alcohol or DMT and blah blah blah. I, you know, it, it applies to so many different drugs as far as these these cocktails. But you know, when it comes to cannabis and alcohol, uh, having gone to Barcelona specifically in Spain and being a member of a few of the social clubs over there. It's a world like you wouldn't believe. It's it's crazy when you go into, I'd say, uh, you know, shout out to HQ, uh, which is one of my favorites. And you go in there and they do have a bar in the front. They do have a dispensary in the back. Uh, they have an area to consume both. They're not segregated. It's just those who, um, you know, who consume cannabis typically hang out in the back of the venue and those that drink hang out in the front. But they've got footy on the, or, sorry, football, soccer <laughs> in America. They've got <laughs> soccer on the TV screens. And they've got uh, food available and entertainment, live music. Everyone's getting along. I've never seen a fight in there. I've never heard anyone raise their voice. I've, I've never seen this alcohol versus cannabis or you smoke. I, I drink. I drink. You smoke. Everyone gets along and there's there's no drama. And it's a very successful business model. But again, something that I know hasn't even really been considered uh, the closest we have gotten, of course, you mentioned Nevada. You know, they had just approved social clubs there. I'm actually going out to one next week while I'm out there, or this week, gosh, <laughs> time flies. Um, and I know a few other markets have as well. But again, you're right. I feel like, you know, some of these things that they instigate or institute around legalization, it, it, it's almost without um, without reason, right? Or without any supporting right. facts <laughs> on, on right. why you would right. or wouldn't. Like, one of the... The things I think we need to also do is be inclusive of the, the opponents of cannabis. So, like, we have Sam, smart, I don't know, I don't know, smart access to marijuana, I think it's yeah. what it's called, stands for. But they're wicked anti-cannabis, and they put out the most non-factful um, propaganda. And I feel like we need to infiltrate that organization in a way that... <laughs> helps bring them around. I mean, it's very frustrating when you, you know, have to fight against, oh, if you're smoking cannabis, it's not medicinal. And there's nothing further from the truth. No, exactly Um, true. we have doctors actually telling patients that. Yeah. We have doctors telling patients that, you know, if you consume high THC, that's not medicinal. You're just getting high. That's wrong. Yeah, if you're going after <laughs> the CB, if you're going after the, the the one receptors, it's THC is what's the best penetration above the shoulders. You know, 
that's the thing is you have some doctors that don't even really know about the endocannabinoids. I, I ran into, I was at, uh, up, up back home in NorCal an old friend of mine, uh, I grew up with, we were out at dinner and, uh, just hanging out. It was kind of a social club, d- traditional social club. <laughs> and, uh, so we're hanging out and the young guy walked up, started talking to us and, um, he had just graduated from medical school and he is going to do his residency. And I was like, I- I'm just curious because we were, we were smoking there and uh, he was asked for, I'm all, I'm just curious, did they, how much did they teach you about the endocannabinoid system? He's like, I think there was one page in one of our books <laughs> on the endocannabinoid system. I'm like, are you serious? Like the ECS, you should be learning about as much as the nervous system, as far as how it plugs in and interacts with all of your, your neurons from your tip of your toes to the top of your head. He's like, I totally get it. He's like, it's just the system is just not ready, you know? He's like, it's just, it's in that place where he's all, now there are some doctors, you, you talk to some doctors that are looking outside of Western because they know that opioids at the end of the day are opioids and to your point, sleeping pills are still sleeping pills and all the rest. And, and these are things that weren't, um, anything that was designed in a Petri dish does not interact with our system so well, which I learned firsthand from a scientist when he told me it. The uptake with ibuprofen is 50%. He's like, that's why you can take 800 milligrams. He's like, your body will only absorb half of that. The other, the other half goes right through. And so I, I created an analogy. I'm like, because I understand more so in analogies and metaphors, that's how I speak. I'm like, so, so you're telling me like ibuprofen and our system, it's kind of like Lincoln Logs and Legos versus Lincoln Logs and Lincoln Logs if we were playing with cannabis and, and obviously our system. And he's like, that's exactly it. He's like, it's just not meant to function with it when you talk about you know, more of the Western medicine, these pharmaceuticals that, that everyone's using. But again, that goes back to what you and I kind of live by, which is the ed- education. And we're both advocates. Like you said, neither of us are activists. We're not with a raised fist. We're with an open hand. We're, we're here to support and, and make the movement happen. And it's never been about me. It's been about the movement and nothing against friends that are hardcore building their brands and making their name in the space. That's They can keep doing that. That's not me. But I love how, again, you've got that same attitude of like, it just comes down to education. It just, just do a little homework, you know, just understand what you're talking about that you aren't going to get the true, true entourage effect if you don't consume the whole plant. Right. I mean, you you can't start ripping it apart and putting the, you know, obviously again, the cannabinoids over here, the terpenes over here, the biomass over there and think that you're still going to get the same effect when you put it all back together and consume it. It just, it just doesn't happen. So... Again, I, I love how you support it and you get it and you understand it. You know, it's it's not something I was taught in nursing school either. So yeah. 100%. I love a lot of the um, activism on the nurses' parts. You know, I mean, I support all of them. I support so many people in the industry that I see are doing good. And I think people really look to my opinion to see what what do you think of this brand or what do you think of this organization, are they legit or are they full of shit? Yeah, um, yeah. Like Americans for Safe Access, they're a great organization. I feel they are really patient-centered and really want safe access for Americans. Again, this is just my personal experience. I mean, I'm not saying that other people, I just have found them very, very helpful and very much supportive of patient initiatives. Yeah. It, well, and you have out there, there's the uh, ACNA, American Cannabis Nurses Association, uh, out of Albany. 
not sure if you're aware of them, but that like that's a good example of someone who's like trying. And I agree. I, I think it's interesting because as much as the doctors get paid and as as much effort as they put in, um, I feel like nurses have been a bit more personally. I mean, I've I've obviously met a handful of doctors like uh, Doctor Sisley, you know, Sue, and in some of the others that have uh, made a presence in the industry, but a lot of nurses are more supportive, especially those, again, going back to the cancer side, you know, those that are in, you know, in the, uh, the oncology offices and such, and those that are dealing with individuals that are going through chemo and such that are very open-minded and very understanding and have done their homework and due diligence. So, so when someone comes in because they've spoken to you or I, and they go, well, hey, you know, I had someone that recommended that at least I do like a, you know, a 14 to 1 or a 10 to 1 or an 8 to 1 ratio CBD to THC to help with the side effects of chemo. Is that something that I should consider? I mean, that that's what my cousin-in-law, whom, gosh, I've known for uh, over 20 years, uh, recently went through breast cancer. So that's, you, you know, her and I talking on the cancer level. I'm like, yeah, I'm all, ask your nurse when you go in for chemo next time. And this was about two years ago. And uh, yeah, the nurse's response was, she's like, oh, child, she's like 75% of the people in here are using cannabis on some level that are going through this. <laughs> and she was like, okay, I guess now I know. And it's like, you got to wake up. Like it's, it's even the day I've heard this, I need to fact check because I'm not a big fan of dare, but um, I mean, look at how many children they introduce drugs to. I'll just leave it at that. But I heard that they did finally drop cannabis from their curriculum, which thank goodness. Cause I mean, stop, real. stop weaponizing sakes, you know, and I'm not going to be, I know some people are offended when you say it's just a plant. I, I get that, but it's true. It's like, this is not hardcore. It's not a gateway drug. It surely isn't a, a gateway drug. I mean, if anything, it's an exit drug from those I know that have people on, you know, RSO programs to wean them off of opioids, like heroin, good example, heroin addiction. They're using, you know, um, to your point, high, high level THC um, in order to counter and, and still give that dopamine, but be able to wean them off the very addictive uh, you know, solution that they're they're turning to currently. So I mean, it's it's all everything's moving and swirling, but um, I still feel like it all comes back to the education, like we keep talking about. You know, it all comes back to people just understanding and listening and learning. You know, learn and listen, learn and right. teach. I mean, <laughs> Kurt Robbins says that all the time. I mean, he's got a great blog there on LinkedIn and yeah. stuff. I mean, learn and teach others because I don't know what I don't know, and if I'm not curious about it, then I'm obviously not going to be very receptive to it. But yeah. for me, this plant saved my life, and I want to learn as much as I can, and I want to teach doctors and nurses and share that, you know, you have to do your own research. You have to be your own advocate. But at the end of the day, this plant can help so many people from mental illness to um Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, there's yeah, so many neurological yeah. situations that cannabis can help. Is it possible that it doesn't work for you? A hundred percent, but you've oh, got to yeah. be willing to trial and error and ideally work with someone who is experienced yep. that can at least kind of guide you. And like you um, said, find what not works all born for you. Cannabis experts. Yeah, no, very true. And you, you're spot on. You have to find what works for you. I mean, for, for me, even long term, you know, knees and ankles, way too much, you know, water skiing cross country as a kid. And so, you know, for me, it's it's my knees and ankles. And a good friend of mine, Ryan, one of my girlfriends back home in NorCal, 
you know, he has a straight, oh my gosh. And he told me what it was. I can't remember what it was. It escapes me. But the first time I consumed it, I was like, oh my, this is, this is what I need. And I wish I, <laughs> I wish I still had access. He needs to grow more. Come on, Ryan, you can grow more for me. But it's one of those things like I, like as soon as it hit, I, I felt the pain in my knees. I felt the pain in my ankles. And then within about a minute, it just poof. Like it just literally, and it was so insane how it went right to the problem. But again, not every strain does that for me. There was very much a specific formula between the cannabinoids and the terpenes that were in the profile of that plant that obviously did it for me. So again, I, you know, for the listeners, you know, Nikki spot on that it isn't a cure-all beat-all. We're not trying to, to peddle, you know, some remedy that's going to solve and, and cure all, but you would be surprised. I mean, you, I'm still surprised by this, but I, Use some on a mosquito bite. <laughs> I couldn't believe got rid of the stinging and the redness and and got rid of the pain. And it's like, my gosh, this plant never ceases to amaze me. And like you, I'm constantly learning. I never, the day you stop learning is the day you stop living. It's one of my mantras. And I swear I live by it because it's so true. I'm constantly learning in this industry and it's definitely all all for the good. So, well, with that, what's, do tell. So what's in the next chapter for you, again, as legalization, um, as new legalization, as we know, it comes into fruition out there in New York. Um, where do you see the opportunity for you? Because I know you're not going anywhere. You better not be going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Now I don't have to leave the state, which is a big plus. Yeah. You know, Lance, I feel one of the biggest underserved populations is women over 40. Mm -hmm. And I feel like not enough attention has been brought to that sector. Um, everything from hormonal to there's so many things women can be benefit from with cannabis. And the big taboo is I'd love to have a way of like the PTA coming to a consumption lounge, trade the wine bottle for weed. And then we yes. like, donate the wine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> donate it to a Catholic church. Um, it's all good. <laughs> They'll use it. <laughs> you know, like bring the cops into the dispensary, have a, a program that shows them with medical patients involved that, I'm not impaired when I consume cannabis. I'm actually medicated, and you would much rather me be driving than you would oh, me gosh. being unmedicated yeah. driving because it's a focus issue. It's an attention issue. I don't get stoned. I get medicated. Yeah. And I think we have to change some of that dialogue and change the message around it. So I guess I see my opportunity surrounding just equal access and removing the stigma of the plant medicine and helping especially women be introduced to the plant. I mean, it's yeah, not yeah. a sexist thing. It's just, no, you're, that <laughs> we've always been the caretakers yeah. and nobody takes care of them. Yeah. So in this industry kind of revolves around, I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> it's a female plant for crying out loud. <laughs> more, especially after this whole quarantine thing and trying to be teachers all of a sudden, you yeah. know I mean? Yeah. I'm yeah. just so glad I didn't, you know, the universe knew I could not handle a pandemic with children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I think you're it's honest of it. It's, it's not as sexy. You know, I, I bring it up often because I'm a huge fan of, of equality in general. This is a, being a product of growing up in San Francisco, I guess. But, you know, I, I definitely support it. And, you know, I stoked to the fact that 36% of, um, of the industry leaders and, I mean, C-suite, you know, as in like actual 
working in the industry, 36% are female. I think we're only eclipsed by the real estate industry, but continuing to strive for that because again, to your point, I think that's a greatest opportunity as well. You know, the fastest growing segment is 50 and up, which is the, the high, high end of uh, Gen X, so mainly the boomer in silent generation, if you will. And so I agree, great opportunity there, but overarching for the industry, excellent opportunity because I don't know if it was Justin Dada or one of, another another individual like myself that's always posting up you know news and facts and such and um, somebody posted up uh, a statistic of saying you know is now approximately 75 percent uh, of those that consume are male over female and I was like no actually it's closer to 67 percent if you look at you know in conversations from BDS to headset you know all these people new frontier that follow uh, trends and in, in consumption numbers. Uh, from the front line, but it is still a bias towards male over female. And a story I have to tell you, which has always impressed me, I have friends that come out and obviously won't say who, we'll keep those um, without name, but they, when they come out from Australia, uh, they've found that specifically there's a place in Nevada uh, that produces a um, suppository for women for helping out, you know, with that time of the month. And their wives swear by it. Nothing else, not the mitol, not the ibuprofen, nothing else works like this stuff does. And how many, if more people knew about that, I mean, that is the thing that you don't have to suffer. And if there's a solution, especially a natural solution, again, not pumping your spell, yourself full of drugs to numb the pain, but something that actually addresses the issue. I mean, that is a huge opportunity. And I don't hear enough people talking about that, to your point, Nikki. I don't, I mean, that's an opportunity for you, I'd have to say, because it does benefit, obviously, being female and talking about female anatomy, in my opinion. I mean, my oncologist was was a male doctor, and I was cool with that because he obviously knew the anatomy. But I think that is a huge opportunity for you to educate, uh, you know, the the Gen X and and the boomers about what it has as far as benefits medically. Don't think about, oh, that one time I tried smoking back at the Dead concert in the 60s, or that one time I was at a fish show and my buddy passed me a joint and I couldn't get another beer, so I smoked it and had a horrific experience. Like, stop, just enough. And I, I use the, the example of, that'd be like me going down to uh, Mexico for spring break, which we always did, you know, go down south of the border, getting too drunk off tequila one time saying I'm never drinking again. No, I found out that I'm actually allergic to agave. I can't drink tequila. And and then I figured out what I could consume and went from there. Now I don't consume alcohol at all. But still the point being is nobody says, oh, bad experience. I'm never doing it again. That's very seldom. But for some reason, cannabis does get painted in that corner where people go, oh, well, I had that one, that one bad experience in band camp or whatever the case. And now I'm never going to touch it again. And it's like, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> you really don't know, do you? You're you're really limiting yourself. You I mean, are. My dad, former customs guy, and he literally, you know, I'm allergic to the weed. I'm allergic to the weed. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he's not allergic. He's like, I'm totally allergic. And he's like, the guy that I was work that I was on tour with, he fell asleep because he was smoking that shit. Oh, and so, therefore, I'm allergic to it. The <laughs> <laughs> reefer oh madness. And I was like, so outspoken about it, right? So you can see how well yeah. the conversation goes, right? Exactly, but, um, exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And it's, it's such a common conversation too. And again, I think it's so, it's crazy though, how it's, there was another three and you might've seen this. You're so good about, about being in the know on, on LinkedIn. Someone was commenting about, you know, how Biden isn't uh, showing as much his support as we all thought he might when it comes to cannabis. And they're like, well, you know, really with these boomers, I'm like, Hey, pause. 
He's silent generation. Like, uh, you don't understand. He, he wasn't a product of the 60s. He wasn't a flower child mm -hmm. in Woodstock hanging out, listening to Jimi Hendrix getting high. That was not him. That, that was the next generation after him. So, of course, he's not going to be. I mean, not only did he drink the Nixon Kool-Aid, the dude actually was around long enough to suffer the repercussions of the Anslinger, you know, all the way back to Reefer Madness. I mean, people are forgetting the, guy, the guys his late 70s. Like, he's not as open-minded as your mom and dad. And so, again, it, it's, you know, helping him understand, helping him educate. But just, yeah, it's it's an interesting place. I still think we're moving forward. The, the, the train has left the station, as we've been saying for years. I just wish it would gain a little more momentum a little bit quicker before the whole rest of the world surpasses us, you know, on, on that open-minded legalization at a federal level. But... You know, it will happen. I would love the Fed to get on board. I mean, that's all yeah. I can say. I feel so many things would be opened up. I mean, the banking thing. I mean, just oh, yeah. when I'm looking at the opportunity to open a company here in New York, it's like just the banking issue alone. Just yeah. like yeah. any plant touching business, the whole tax issue and how to set up a company that you can't like write off things that. Yeah, two eighty E. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it's absolutely insane. In the More Act, I mean, that's one of the things I went out to lobby was the More Act and States Act when I was on the attach board, and uh, when I got to meet uh, Blumenauer, and that was the interesting thing is I'm stoked that there is additional support that's coming on behind the More Act and and you know beyond looking at just, oh, we need to legalize this. You know, I don't know if you saw the open letter to uh, the majorities and minorities, actually, uh, at Congress um, from a lot of the civil rights groups, I believe it was last week, um, that they're like, this is a civil rights thing. Like, this isn't just a, you know, oh, it, it, we shouldn't have been stigmatized in the first place or it shouldn't have been made illegal. And for, like, no, this, and you know, that's very close to what happened in Mexico. That's what I really have to applaud Mexico for. They deemed, you know, making it illicit unconstitutional. And that's how they were able to pull it off as far as decriminalizing it. Now, of course, it's taken them a little bit of time to create the framework for legalization, which is a whole other aspect. But, you know, still, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, let's look at it from a different angle. Let's look at it from a humanity standpoint, not just from a capitalistic standpoint, which this country does too much of anyway. Um, so I, I feel like it's closer. Something's going to give next year. And I have some people still, I've been saying that for years and everyone's like, ah, and I'm like, Hey, even if it's descheduling or decriminalizing or expunging at a federal level, something is going to, there's just too much. You, you see these M and A's that are going on between these large groups. You see what, what is it now? Six States in the first five months of this year that have passed legislation for legalization yeah. or further legalization from medical to adult use, AKA, you know, Mexico, New Mexico, et cetera. I mean, it, we're, we're so on the tip of where it could come. So, um, again, I think we're, I, I think we're close. I think we'll, and if, me, if not, I mean, our neighbors, again, on both sides of the, <laughs> on both borders, Bye. we've got legalization now. So, well, Nikki, it's, it's gone by way too fast. I definitely want to thank you for your time. And it's always fun catching up and keeping in touch. We will definitely have to uh, circle around in the coming months and, and hear an update on New York. So thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye now. All righty, everyone. I want to thank you for joining us on another episode of Cure to Consumption. We look forward to catching up with you again next week. Thanks again. As always, good vibes.
You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.